Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, open them up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, if you were able to watch the service from last week, um, we uh, were looking at how Samuel tells Saul that you're going to be king, and there are going to be some signs and miraculous events that reaffirm this to you. And as Saul leaves and goes down the road, all of these miraculous events happen. And it reaffirms to Saul that exactly what has been told to me is going to happen. And so we go from Saul knows, Samuel knows, to it's time to let the nation of Israel know what is going on. And this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of the sermon is, What Will It Take? What will it take? And uh, if you have ever bought a car or been in a car dealership, you have probably heard a car salesman ask this question or make this statement. What is it going to take for me to send you home in this new car? Right? Or maybe you have asked over the last week, what is it going to take for us to get out of our driveway this week? Uh, maybe today you have asked yourself this question what is it going to take for us to have a marriage that honors God? What, what is it going to take for us to raise godly children? What is it going to take for our church to be the church that God wants it to be? Now, I want to start by saying I believe that it is God who provides, it's God who takes care of, but I also believe there is an aspect that we are required to respond to what God is doing. Today I want to ask you that question because immediately some of you, when I said that statement, thought, boy, I got some things that my spouse could do. Boy, that, it really helped them. And some of you even thought, well, boy, I got some thoughts about some people that go to church here. Boy, if they would do what it takes, things would look different from them. I want to say this as nice and kindly as I can. Just stop. Today the question is, what will it take for you to do what it takes? What is it for me to do what it takes. Uh, as you know, you can raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but it still is your children's what? Choice. You can even love and care for your spouse, but they still make the choices that they make. There's one person in this whole world that you can choose for 100% of the time, every time, and that is who? You. And so today I want to ask you, what is it going to take for you to do what is necessary for you to be the child of God that he wants you to be? Husbands, what are you willing to do to do whatever it takes to be the husband God wants you to be? Wives, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be the wives that God wants you to be? Are we as a church willing to do whatever it takes to be who God wants us to be? And so today, that is our sermon, What Will It Take? And I think there are three things we see here from this passage of Scripture that can be applied to our life as well. And since there is a large amount of it, we're not going to read it all and go back. We're just going to pray and go right through it. So pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege to be here. I thank you for this wonderful group of people who have shown up. And I pray, Lord, today that they would hear from you. 
Father, I pray that you'd give me the boldness to say what needs to be say, said and, Lord, the wisdom to know what not to say. Father, I pray now that your spirit would begin to work and move in the lives of people because only he is able to change lives and draw people to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just do great and mighty things for your name and your name only. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, you ought to take notes for two reasons. One, for you to look at it through the week and grow, and two, to hold me accountable, to make sure I am preaching the Word of God and that you are not listening to a heretic. That should matter to you. Both of those should matter. And the first thing is this this morning. We have to want to hear from God. If you want to know what it's going to take for you and I to do what God has asked us to do, you have to want to hear from God and be willing to speak when he says speak. Look what it says here in verses 17 through 19. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. He called them together for them to listen. He didn't call them together to get their opinion. He didn't call them together to take a poll. He didn't call them together to vote. He calls them together because they need to hear from God. And this morning, your need is exactly the same. You do not need to hear from a man. You don't need to hear from an individual. You need to hear from God. Whether that's in your private Bible study time, whether that's in your Sunday school time, whether that's in your family devotion time, whether that's in the sermon part, the words of Jacob Gray can help you none. But the Word of God can bring life. The Word of God can bring freedom. The Word of God can bring victory. The Word of God can teach about salvation. You see, hearing from God is really what every single individual in this world needs. They need to hear from him and know him. But today I want to ask you that question. Are you willing to listen? You say, oh, I'm a good listener. You're probably not. Just to be honest with you. I don't think any of us are good listeners. Most of us listen long enough that we can tell you what we think. And we really don't even need you to tell us what you want us to. We just do it to be polite. But I want you to know something. You and I can never fix a problem if we first don't what? Listen to what it is. You cannot deal with a situation if you don't first listen. And so I think the number one thing that most Christians could do that would be a great help to us would be to shut our mouths. I know what you're saying. That's kind of rude, but it's true. In my walk with God, I need to be willing to get alone with God and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. I don't need to hear the expert advice of the day. I don't need to hear what someone else's emotions and feelings are. God, I need you. Because your words are eternal life. And that's what he does here. He calls them together. But Samuel's also not just calling them together for them to listen. He is getting ready to tell them some very hard truth. And Christian, you've got to be willing to listen to God. But you've also got to be willing to speak when God tells you to speak. Listen to what it goes on and says here. I have brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms 
and from those who oppressed you. He says, listen to the blessings I've given you. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you to a land where the enemies could not fight against you. Where you had homes that you didn't build. Vineyards that you didn't plant. I have blessed you. I have blessed you. I have blessed you. And Christian, if you're here today, there will never be a day in your life when you can say God has not blessed you. Because if you know him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you have the one blessing that no one can live without. Literally, that's what the Bible says. That for those who do not know Jesus Christ, an eternity away from God is their fate. They don't understand what it truly means to live and to have love and joy unless they have first received it from Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you say, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for, then you're not saved. Because if you're here this morning, if there's nothing else in your life that you can bless God for, it is this. God, I couldn't earn my salvation. I couldn't buy my salvation. I couldn't in any way figure out how to get saved on my own. But yet you first loved me. And you died for me. And you rose again so that I could be forgiven of my sins. But hold on here. Samuel doesn't just stop with the blessings. Because most of us have no problem talking about the blessings. Usually we even lie about our blessings, right? Oh, my wife and I, we, we don't ever fight. It's just, just been, it's been, uh, it's been almost 12 years of just marital bliss. Couldn't remember the year there, but I got it. Right? I know people like that. Oh, we've never, never had a disagreement. It's all been sunshine and roses. It's one, neither one of you shall tell the truth. Or two, you are truly some of the most blessed people I've ever met. You say, Jake, I've never had a hardship, a trouble, a difficulty in my life. Everything is just exactly as it should be. That's how most of us portray our lives. But listen, if God blesses you, he will also correct you. As a parent, you have to bless your children, but you also have to correct them. And what Samuel says is, this is the blessing, but now listen to what I have to say. He goes, but, in verse 19, you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, now set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. See, you and I have to listen, but we also have to speak when God tells us to speak. And the Bible tells us in the book of Luke chapter 11, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nourished you. But he said more than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus says, yes, it is a blessing for Mary to be my earthly mother. But it's not near as much of a blessing is to know me in that way as it is to hear from God for your salvation. And to not only hear from God, but to obey him. And to love him. And so how many times do we think the greatest blessings in our life are the people that God sends? And what he really says is the people that God sends you are a blessing, but they are never more of a blessing than he is. God truly is the greatest blessing that we could ever know or love or have a relationship with. And so this morning I want to ask you this. 
Are you willing to declare God's blessings, but not always He is correction? Um, I want you to know that I, I believe this is the greatest single problem that you and I have as an individual, as families, and as a church. We refuse to take correction. And not only do we refuse to take correction, we refuse to give correction. You say, Jake, but we live in a day and age when you can't correct anybody. You can't tell anybody that they're wrong. Nothing is wrong. Look up here for a moment. Satan is destroying individuals. Satan is destroying marriages. And Satan is destroying churches because God's people are so scared to death to say anything that will offend anyone. And what we are doing is standing beside watching Satan destroy the people that we love. And we ought to be ashamed of it. We ought to be ashamed when Satan devours a family at church and we say nothing. Satan, we ought, to be just, we ought to be heartbroken when Satan devours a marriage and we do nothing. But I want to tell you what's even worse than that. When he devours our marriage and we say nothing. Husbands, I want to say this to you today. The Lord gave you the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home. It's not her job. You say, Jake, the feminist movement of America today, it's wrong. You can take it for what it's worth. God gave you the authority to lead and to love and to nurture and to care for your wife, not as a devalue, but she is equal but different. She is precious. She is wonderful. And some of you need to man up and stop letting your marriage be devoured because you're scared. And I know scared is not a word. Scared from the consequences. Parents, I know that you love your children and sometimes it's not pleasant to correct them and to discipline them and to tell them hard truths. But you have to quit standing by and watching as Satan destroys the children that God gave you. Last night, you live with a preacher, you get the stories. That's the way it goes. I listened to one of my children cry for over 30 minutes last night. Harder than I've ever heard one of my children cry. Um... Because she wanted to do something and be somewhere, and I didn't think she should. So I didn't let her. I said, no, you're coming home. We're doing something else tomorrow. And that's the way it is. Now, I can tell you, it was a cold ride home from Murray to Paducah with a crying child and a not real happy wife. But I want to tell you something, husbands, fathers, parents. If you don't stand on the wall, no one will. Dads, if you don't, no one will. And what Samuel does here is he hears from God, but he also talks for God. And friends, this world will devour everything that it touches. Satan's desire is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he says, you're the watchman, the watchwomen. And so, Christian, it's not enough just to know what you believe, what is right, what you think. There comes a time in your life when you have to go from thinking it, believing it, and living it to proclaiming it. And the consequences or the blessings are immense, especially for a pastor. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, these words, 
I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Guess who he's talking to there? He says, you. He says, you, Timothy. And today the question is, you. Father, are you going to step up and be the godly husband and father that God wants you to be? Mom and dad, are today you going to stand up and say, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about us, what anyone else thinks about us, we are going to do what God has asked us to do. The question is for us as a church. (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but most of the things that I preach don't go over real well with most people. I can show you the Facebook messages. I I can show it to you if I would, but I won't. But friends, we must be willing to do what God tells us regardless of the cost. Regardless of what is asked, we must be willing to go. And that's what Samuel does here. He says, God has blessed you, but you've also abandoned him. Second thing this morning I want to show you. We have to be bold in what God has called us to do and the mission that he's placed in our life. We have to be bold in what God has called us to do and the mission he has placed in our life. Look what it says here in verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had called the child tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. So what happens is the whole nation of Israel comes together and Samuel says, the king is going to come from the Benjamite family. So all the families that would have been descendants of Benjamin, they came. And then he says, and God says the king is going to come from this guy's name, Saul's father. And so all of the rest of the people would have separated out. And it just been Saul's family, his dad and his siblings. And then Samuel says, and it's going to be Saul. And so you can just imagine right now if I specifically called out someone's name here in church, right? If I just said someone's name right now, all you would do what? Just like that, you look over there at them, some goofy grin on your face. This is the first time they've ever had a king. The first time they've ever chose a king. The first time it's ever went this way. And here's Saul, and everybody's looking at him. Where is he? Where'd he go? It'd be like Jamie getting off the stage to preach and me still being in the bathroom. You'd be like, where's he at? We can't go on without him. And listen to what happens here in this passage of Scripture. So important. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, 
he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. This word for hidden here is from the same word in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve hid from the Lord. It's the same word in the book of Joshua when she hid the spies. It's the same word over and over and over again. And the point is this. Saul had heard from the Lord. He had been reaffirmed through miracles. But yet when the time came for him to fulfill the calling that God had on his life, he did what? He hid. And today the great challenge for you is not only to listen to God, but is to be bold with the calling that he has on your life. I uh, told this story in the first sermon, and I'm going to tell it in the second service. And I want to preface this by saying we are not having another child, okay? Because everybody in the first service thought, ha, ah! no, all right? Everybody is happy when you have a kid for the first time, right? Oh, look at that baby. Oh, she's so wonderful. Oh, she looks like her mother. The second one comes along. Oh, you're so happy. You're so blessed. You're so wonderful. How, how great is it? The third one comes along in four years and people are like, oh, that's a blessing. That'll be hard, poor lady. You have that fourth one and you announce that at a family gathering, people's going, oh, that poor lady. Do they know what it costs to have kids? Do they know what it costs to put people through college? Do they know what it costs to buy weddings? Then you tell everybody you're going to have a fifth one. You see why I preface this story, the second sermon, right? People are like, oh, that poor wife. When we had our fifth child and told you about it, this happened in this lobby of this church. Someone leaving the door said, Pastor, can we buy you a television? And I said, I don't understand what you mean. And some of you will get that. And then I'll never forget when we told everybody we were going to have a sixth one. I, I think my mom and dad might have been the only person in the world that was happy for us and my sister. And I'm not even sure if they were happy. Everybody's like, oh, what's wrong with them? You know what the Bible says about having a quiver full? You know what the Bible says the very few times it talks about having children? It says be fruitful and multiply. Now, God might not call you to have six kids. He might call you to have one. You better have one. God might call you to have 10 kids, and I hope that's not us. <laughs> but you better have 10 kids. And it don't matter what the world says about you or your family, you better do what God calls you to do. Moms, if God tells you to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom and homeschool your kids, you better do it and don't worry about what the world says. Moms, if God calls you to work and sends your kids to public school, you need to do it and don't worry about what the world says. See, you have to hear from God for you and your family, and you have to be obedient regardless of the cost. You've got to be bold in your faith. Know what God wants for you and move forward. And I'm just going to say I am probably the world's worst. Wasn't so much when I started pastoring, but the longer you deal with hundreds of people, the easier it is to want to make hundreds of people happy. But listen to what Proverbs 28 says in verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are what? Bold as a lion. You have probably heard that it is wicked to run if something's not chasing you. And this is where that Bible verse comes from. There are some translations that literally say, the wicked run 
when no one pursues them. And so people like me who don't want to exercise are like, see, I'm just more spiritual than you. That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about this, that when my heart is not right with God, when I don't trust him, I will not stand for anything. I will run even from the thought of difficulties. And Husbands, you've got to be willing to stand no matter the cost. Moms and dads, you've got to be willing to stand no matter the cost. Church, you've got to be willing to stand no matter the cost. You have to be bold or you will spend your life continually running from everything. And friends, you cannot spend your life running from everything. The book of Isaiah says it like this. One of the most special verses in Isaiah, I believe, in chapter 41, verse 10. Two words, the first two words. Fear, I, okay, I know you went to Hamilton County, but I know the teaching was good there. Fear, doesn't say fear some, doesn't say fear a little. It says fear not, but the real issue is why. Why do I not fear raising my children to love God and to serve Him? Why do I not fear to be the godly husband or wife that God's called you to be? Why should you not fear being the church that God wants us to be because we fear not because of why for I am with you God says I am promising to be with you I am promising to be with you on the days that you think I'd send two kids back if somebody would take them I, I'm, I am willing to be with you on the days when you're wanting to call your mother-in-law and say would you take him back I'm willing to be with you when you get that phone call that it's cancer, that your loved ones die. God says, fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. It goes on and says, do not be dismayed, for who? I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. The key to that whole verse is not fear not, it is the I statements. God is saying, whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going to ask you to do, I am the one who is going to provide. It doesn't matter how many people threaten to leave your church. It doesn't matter how many times your spouse threatens to fight you at home. It doesn't matter how many times your kids tell you they hate you. You've got to know what God wants for you and be willing to do it regardless of the cost. And it's the reason our nation is falling apart. It is the reason our homes are falling apart. is because we're not willing to follow God no matter the cost. Third and final thing this morning. We've looked at how we have to hear from God and be willing to speak for Him. We have to be bold in our calling from God and the calling of His mission for our life. But third and finally, we have to follow God no matter what people say about us. Don't miss that. We have to follow God no matter what people say about us. Look what it says in verses 24 through 27. It says, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. So here's a group that's pro-Saul. 
Yeah! We got us a king! Now listen to what else it goes on to say. It goes on and says, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah and valiant men with him whose hearts God had touched. But some, but some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised against him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. So you got the pro-Saul. Woo! And you got the no-Saul. Saul can't save us. Saul can't fix us. Saul doesn't know what he's doing. Saul's got no business being here. And friends, what is the response? He held his peace. You see, most of us get in so much trouble, and I am the world's worst. I'll admit it, because we don't make our decisions based on what God wants. We make our decisions based on the opinions of other people. What's my family going to think if I come home and tell them we're having a seventh kid? I guess there's nothing they can do about it at this point, right? Which we're not, just throwing that out there. You say, well, Jake, what will the people at work say? If I tell them to quit telling dirty jokes. What's my wife going to say if I come home and say, I think we ought to read our Bible and pray together every night. What are my kids going to say on Sunday night if I say, you're getting up and going to church with us on Sunday night. I don't care if you don't like it, you're coming anyway. You see, it's in those moments that you and I have to understand what does God want from me or what do other people want from me. You'll always be able to find the pro-Saul crowd. You're doing okay. You're doing a great job. You don't need to worry about it. Just turn on Joel. He'll tell you the same thing. You, you just do whatever makes you happy. Don't you worry about the things of God. Don't, don't worry about it. You're, you're, you're who you are supposed to be. You'll always find people that'll tell you that. And friends, you'll always be able to find people that'll tell you the exact opposite. I don't even know why you try with that kid of yours. I don't even know why you go to that church out there. I don't even know why you're trying to do those things. Don't worry about that stuff. It's not necessary, not important. But there's one person you need to hear from, and that's the Lord. You see, the book of Galatians tells us these words in chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For I still pleased men... I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says you can only be one or the other. You can be a follower of Jesus and want to please him. Or you can be a follower of this world and want to please them. Now I'm not saying you ain't going to go back and forth in what you feel. Because you will. There will be people in your life that you love and care about and treasure. And, and, and they might be living in sin and God says, hey, you need to go talk to them. And you're like, mm, we'll go talk to them. You're grown kids. Maybe they're far from God. You've been praying and praying and praying. Lord, bring them back. Lord, bring that prodigal home. And God finally lays it on your heart. You ought to go talk to them. Oh, no, no. I've talked to them before. I saw how that goes. Or that neighbor down the street that you've invited to church 10,000 times. And they've just got angrier 
and angrier and angrier. But as you're praying for him one, do- one day, the Lord says, hey, won't you go down there? Invite him one more time. You see, friends, you don't know what it's going to cost you. But you've got to be willing to listen to God no matter what people say. Proverbs 29, verse 25 is one of the most interesting verses, I think, that I have skipped over my whole life. But I don't think it's in any way, shape, or form something I have to explain to you all in this room about hunting, right? Most of you have, have went hunting in your life. You've sit in a tree stand. You've sit in the blind. You've killed something, and you got up to it and realized it was much bigger in the air as it was on the ground. Or Many of you have put pictures all over your Facebook page about your kills and stuff like that, but yet you haven't put a picture of your wife lately. Just throw that out there for you. You, you might want some advice there. Or put your kids on there once in a while. It might make a big difference. But I'm just throwing that out there. And most of you understand this, right? Right? You, you've got your deer cams and you watch and you wait and, and hopefully you don't bait. But uh, um, you, uh, you, you get everything planned, right? Your stand's in the right place. Your blind's in the right place. You wait for the right day, the right weather. You put stuff on you that makes you smell like them. You, know, you do all kinds of crazy things, right? And you wait. And then all of a sudden something happens. For some reason, that animal gets up. It needs to either eat or it's in rut. Something causes it to leave the safety of its place of residence. And I just see your smiling faces. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I got a big one. Yeah. You can see it on your faces. Right? And that, that deer walks by and you're there ready. Oh, like a chubby kid in a candy store, Right? And then you do what? You put it down. Well, this verse says, the fear of man brings a snare or a trap or a prison or death. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. What he says is, trying to earn the favor of men, to earn the favor of someone's opinion, to always follow what's popular will lead you into destruction. As an individual, it will lead you into destruction. It'll cause you to want to impress people that don't really care about you. <laughs> It'll cause you to find yourself in situations that you never would have found yourself in. It's like Adrian Rogers says, sin takes you farther than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it's usually because you want to please somebody. Well, I don't have any friends, and if I, if I go where they go and do what they do, then they'll like me. I just started this new job, and as long as I'll go along with what everybody else says, they'll include me, right? I've got my thoughts and feelings, but I'll, I'll keep them to myself and go along with what everybody else says. Friends, that's how you become a politician in America today. Just follow whatever's popular. But God says that'll lead you to ruin. It'll ruin your reputation. It can ruin your life, but it also happens in your marriage. You cannot base your marriage on what other people think of you. People think my wife and I are nuts. They do. You, you don't have to. You don't have, some of you do. I wouldn't lock myself with them six kids. I wouldn't either. I come put up with you. Sometimes I think, you know, anyway. But I'm telling you what God called us to do. And whatever God's called you to do, you need to know that's what he's called you to do and be willing to do it regardless of the cost, regardless of what other people say about you, 
regardless of what they talk about. You've got to do what God has asked you to do. And remember this one thing. Your children, your marriage, your church, your life depends on it. I said that right. Depends on it. Because God is willing to forgive the sinner. God is willing to restore the broken. God is willing to be involved in in control of your marriage. God is willing to lead and guide and direct this church. He is willing to do all of those things. The question is, will we do what it takes? Am I willing to do what it takes as an individual to repent of my sins and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? As a Christian, am I willing every day to say, Lord, search me every area of my life, my talk, my thoughts, my feel, everything about me, Lord, and show me what's in my life that shouldn't be there. And Lord, help me to repent. Are you willing to do that as a married couple? Are you willing to, to get along with each other and say, hey, I love you, but I'm worried that you're not reading your Bible. Hey, I'm worried that you're one way at church and another way at home. I'm worried about how we fight all the time in front of the kids. Are you willing to have that conversation? Are you willing to walk into church and be like, we've never fought. We, we've, we've never had a disagreement. We, we just, we are this way all the time. Talk like you've got a steeple stuck in your throat. It's nonsense. The question is, are you willing? I can't make you. Are you willing? And third and final, are we as a church willing to do what God asks us to do no matter the cost? No matter what it costs. Because a church is needed in the community. A godly marriage is needed in your home. Raising godly children is needed for them. But the question is, are we willing to do what it takes? This morning I had a perfect example of this. And I'll tell you what most of us do. I went to put this fancy shirt on this morning in my basement. And I got in front of the mirror. (laughs) And I went to pull it. And I got right here and something happened. I realized my shirt shrank. I pulled and pulled and I prayed for a miracle. And nothing happened. And in that moment, I could have said, Lord, I need to lose some weight. But what I said was this. They make these little devices that will stretch your neck collars. I don't have to work on my double chin. I can keep it, Lord. And I can put one of these on. I went to put my belt on this morning. Realized something. I run out of holes. I could have used that as an opportunity to Say, Lord, I'm going to lose some weight. But I said, I think I got a knife around here somewhere. I'll cut another hole. Those are funny but true examples. But how many of you are doing that in your own life? Lord, I know you don't want me to watch this kind of filth on television. But, I'm, but no one else knows. Lord, I, I come to church every Sunday and everybody thinks I'm saved. But I'm not. How many of you today are married and you, you've got everybody else fooled? But deep down you know that if the right man or right woman walked by, they'd catch your attention. And how many times do you and I know 
that our church is not where it should be and we do nothing about it. You see, friends, you and I have a decision to make. Will we do what it takes, regardless of the cost? Will we be like Samuel and Saul, or will we hide in the luggage? The Bible says it's better to live on the roof of the corner of your house than the home of a nagging wife. The Bible says that divisive and destructiveness ruins a home. The Bible says that a house divided cannot stand. And some of you, if you're honest today, you're limping in here on one leg. But friends, you don't have to leave that way. Christian, you don't have to leave consumed with the sin that's hidden in your heart. If you'll come to God today and ask for forgiveness, He'll forgive you. Husband and wife, if you'll get serious today and grab your partner and say, I don't want the marriage that we've had to be the marriage that we are going to have, grab them. Bring them to this altar today. Pray for them. Pray with them. Apologize. Ask for forgiveness. As a church, the same thing. Find a spot. Pray. Seek the Lord's face. But today, most importantly, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know it's nothing I say that can get you saved. But if the Spirit of God is convicting you this morning and you're sitting here saying, I'm lost. I know I'm lost. And I don't think if I died today, I'd go to heaven. The Lord's doing that in your life today. And He wants you to be saved. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Today, if you'll repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord. He will forgive you and save you. And He will save you completely. See, friends, you can leave here the same way I came to church. With a neck collar and an altered belt. But still just as fat as I've ever been. Or you can come and say, God, I've got issues in my life. But I want them to be changed. And God, you're the only one that can change them. You're the only one that can forgive them. You're the only one that can restore these relationships, these situations. And I'm going to let you do it. But the question is, will you do what it takes? Pray with me. Father, we thank you so very, very much for this wonderful privilege to be together. To hear from your word. Lord, I pray for anything that I have said today that should not have been said. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that should have been said that I didn't, that you'd forgive me. Father, today I pray for the individual, the family, and our church. Lord, that we would be who you've called us to be. To be bold, to listen, and Lord, to do what is told of us by you, regardless of what anyone else says. Father, I pray today for the lost man, woman, boy, or girl in this building or watching online, that you would convict them today, Lord. Don't let me talk them into something that Satan can talk them out of. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to convict people that said they would never be saved, who said they would never come forward, that today is that day. Father, I pray for that Christian who's hurting and broken for whatever the reason is, that today you'd remind them that you love them and that you give them hope. And Father, today, if there are people here today that honestly can just say I am so blessed I just I need to thank God that there's a place at this altar they can just come and say God thank you for how good you've been to me and to my family Lord whatever the situation whatever needs to be done with you this morning I pray that it would and Father I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus Amen
We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon. And we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.